So, uh, my name is Tom, uh, this is Ryan, we'll tell hey you a bit more about us in a second. Uh, this is the How To Games Master, a role-playing game uh, with the Unlucky Frog. A um, little bit about myself and Ryan, if you really care, <laughs> I'm sure you do, you seem like lovely people. Uh, so I started running RPGs when I was 11, um, that's about two decades ago, give or take. Um, I've run hundreds of RPG sessions uh, over the past two decades, um, number of different systems, settings, genres, the full works. Uh, about six years ago, seven years ago, uh, I founded the Scottish Pathfinder Society uh, in Glasgow and we did a couple of events. Uh, we were actually here last year as well. Um, and I ran that for three years as well before passing it over to someone else. Uh, I now act as the RPG correspondent and reviewer at the Unlucky Frog. Uh, branding. Uh, Ryan, I'll let him introduce himself. Hi guys, uh, I've been playing uh, and running different tabletop games for about 10 years or so now. Same as Tom, very uh, multitude of different systems, uh, mostly on the player side of the table, but maybe about seven so years ago when the uh, tabletop scops, when the uh, Pathfinder Society started up, I took my reins at the GM table. Turned out I was all right at it, so. You did all right. Yeah, I did all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get stuck into it, just by way of a show of hands, who has GM'd a game before? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Who's never GM'd a game before? And keep your hands up, those of you who know, do you want to GM a game? Okay, that's good. That's <laughs> kind of why you're here. Yeah, just making sure. So what we're going to do basically, and this just to give you a quick sort of overview, is we're going to talk you through some of the ways to get started, tips that you can use, uh, things that I've learned over the years, things that Ryan's learned over the years that help us. Um, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek as well, so uh, try not to take it too seriously. Um, the first thing to do, I find, and this is pretty uh, standard, is pick a system and a setting and learn it. So in this lovely picture of Ryan, he had longer hair when we took this last week. He got yeah. a haircut for you. In the far flung days of last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, whenever you're going into to role play, I mean, the, the most important decision you're going to make is to pick a system mm. uh, and a setting that you're going to role play in. It's not an easy decision to make these days because there is so much. It's not like it was 20, 40, however long ago it was. Um, where there was only a handful of systems. There's now every system for just about every possible setting you could possibly imagine. Um, I think when you're looking at a system, you're looking at a setting, pick something you like. Um, mm. Don't feel forced to make a decision. So if you've got a group of players and they're saying, I want to run, by way of example, Tales from the Loop, which is a good system, so I'm not picking on it, uh, and you don't want to run Tales from the Loop, don't be forced to run what your players want because if you're not excited about it, that's going to come across. Certainly have a read of it, see if it is for you. Um, but if it's not, you're better off going with something you like the look of. Um, same for a system. If it's your first time running a game, go for something simple. Um, try to avoid very dense, very difficult systems. Uh, there's a lot of very simple systems now, and a lot of even complex systems have very good quick start guides, which are fantastic if you're just getting into role play. Uh, a couple of systems off the top of my head that have quite good quick starts. Uh, Call of Cthulhu has quite a good kick start starter book. Um, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons has a really good quick start. That's not the advanced D&D it used to be. Uh, where getting started on that was like getting a maths degree. Um, it is a lot easier. Um, even systems that are quite simple out the, the gate. Fate's quite good if you like quite an abstract system. Uh, Fate Core and Fate Core Accelerated. 
There's also uh, Monster of the Week, which uses the um, Dungeon World system as well, I which is so, a yep. simple D6 system. Uh, there's also one-page RPGs, like uh, my favorite one is Three Va uh, three Sherlock Holmeses and a Vampire that's also Sherlock Holmes. It's a one-page D&D. <laughs> Rules are all on the sheet. Yeah, I think those those kinds of quick systems, a lot of them are online for free as well. So before you go out and drop 20 quid, 40 quid, 60 quid on a, a starter set or a core book, and if it's your first time getting into it, pick up a quick one, two-page rule system or a quick start guide and have a play with that, see if you like what it feels like, and then get into it. You, um, you can also get the beginner boxes for like D and D and Pathfinder and stuff. In there. Yeah, they're they're not too bad. I don't think Pathfinder Second Edition's got a beginner book box the yet. One, no. But the first edition one was good. That's that's how I got started with Pathfinder when I first got into it. So it is quite a good one. Next up, select a pre-written adventure or plan your own. That's my friend Dave that we had standing in the middle because he's small, <laughs> so you could see over him. Uh, he took that personally when we said he had to do that. <laughs> you, well, you um, said you had to do. Yeah, that. well. We're team running. Um, if you're just getting into role play, it can be very tempting to go in and write a, a multi-page epic. You know, you've got this fantastic idea. You've you've watched Critical Role. You've watched Dice Camera Action. You want to do this massive arcing story where your character is going to go on these epic adventures. That's that's awesome. You might and as well write a book at that point. You to will be you will get to that point eventually. But I would recommend start small. Um, pick a single adventure, uh, be it a pre-written one. Uh, just about every system that exists has pre-written adventures for it. So if you want to do D&D, get a D&D module. Uh, most of the quick start boxes that we mentioned there come with an adventure in them, so they're great for that. Um, or even the, the ones that don't tend yeah. to have something. They give you like a, a couple of adventure hooks, plot hooks and so yep. on to get you started. Um, I don't think these are actually mutually exclusive, to be honest. If you have no. an idea of, I have this setting in mind and I want to run this beginner adventure you can morph it and change it to mm -hmm. make to suit the setting you're playing in yeah definitely um and we'll, we'll come to that actually in a minute mm. um but yeah don't sort of worry too much about is it the right adventure is it the wrong adventure just it's an adventure it's something for you to try a hand at a lot of these adventures are rated on various websites uh, drive through rpg tend to have ratings for a lot of the adventures so you can actually get a quick look and see how is this rated is it a good adventure is it right for me if you want to plan your own straight out the gate and you're confident with that and you've got a story you want to tell, go for it. That's fine. But have a look at some of the pre-written adventures that exist for your particular system to get a feel for how other people write it. The structure and the sort of framework of the adventure, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, it might not be exactly how you want to do it and there's nothing wrong with that. You might, D&D uh, &D by its nature has always been slightly combat orientated. Sorry about the drilling. The, the new edition is a lot less sort of that centric and there is more focus on narrative but if you want to do a narrative political you know core intrigue and you want to use dnd that's fine yeah. go for it um there's nothing wrong with that i'd probably let your players know so they don't come in with a barbarian because well actually that can be a thing in and of itself that's brilliant but yeah what are you talking about? that's my next character <laughs> um but if you've got a full group of barbarians in a courtly intrigue it's you're you're gonna get a mileage may vary situation on it unless you want a slaughterhouse game of thrones-esque uh, courtly intrigue so preparation techniques, if it'll work. There you go. There we go. So make notes of key rules. This was going to be a really clever picture of Ryan holding a key to write. Yep. But he held the key in the way, so it yep. looks like he's holding a blunt pencil. <laughs> yep. Well, to be fair, it kind of makes sense. You're, write, you're writing so many notes, you're blunting your pencil. But it's a key. Bro. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so once you've picked your system, once you've picked your setting, and you know what you're going to be doing with it, um, 
sit down and just make notes and, and you're not writing a dissertation but take some key notes are there rules that you know are going to come up so using the the courtly intrigue example there um are there social rules in your system uh, a good example on the reference of game of thrones the game of thrones song of ice and fire role-playing game is really dense for how it handles social interactions so if you're going to be using that you're probably going to want to get an idea of how the social interaction rules work Again, you don't need to get too bogged down in it for your first game, but having a good idea, just a brief overview, is going to help you in the long run. So, like, uh, notoriously, the Third Ed and 3.5 and Pathfinder editions of rules have notoriously long sections on grappling and combat <laughs> maneuvers. Yes. There's, like, there's flowcharts upon flowcharts. You don't need to memorize all of them. You just, like, glance at it once, and then if it comes up, go back over it, make sure that, you know, you know what you're doing after the game you can even make it up as you go but make sure you go back and read it up afterwards we're not saying you should tell your players they can't grapple in those systems no. but you maybe want to avoid it it can get pretty dense 3.5 was was quite notorious uh D's 3.5 edition i think there was actually at one point a, a chart online that showed you each individual stage that you had to go through just to grab hold of someone and put them on the floor uh it's a lot simpler these days oh yeah uh, fifth edition did fix that for the most part and Pathfinder tried to sort of do what they could with it, but that's a, that's a whole story. Um, what another good idea with this is as well is if you've got yourself a GM screen, your GM screen is going to have some information on it. Now, it could be one of the cheap flimsy cardboard ones, or you might have one of the sturdier uh, sort of hard duty ones. Uh, get yourself some post-it notes, scribble down your notes, and just put them on it. And you can do that not just for rules as well. Um, it's good for any sort of narrative things you've got. So if you've got a particular NPC that's going to be quite important, or a couple of NPCs that you maybe want to bring in, uh, NPCs being non-player characters, just in case anyone didn't know that, um, pop those little notes on your GM screen. So when I've got it, I don't use a screen that much, but when I do, uh, I'll have my screen in front of me and I'll have sort of any kind of rules things here, any kind of general plot things here, and then any NPCs here. That's because I'm a bit anal retentive when it comes to things being in a certain form. Um, but do it however you feel comfortable with. If you want to be one of these people that has a binder and you've got it all bookmarked down the side, uh, well done. Um, if I you want to just <laughs> didn't really work out. <laughs> you can also have kind of the mad scribblings with the string between them as well if you really want. Whatever works for you. That's more my style. <laughs> so if you are using a pre-written adve uh, pre adventure, or even if you've written one yourself, make sure you know it. Um, in regards to this, read the adventure at least three times. Um, that's so that you have a good understanding of what you're presenting. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to sit down and read the entire thing back to back um, in a row three times. Read it once, give it a deep dive, make sure you're clear on it as you go through it, whether you read it on the loo, in bed, at work, whatever you're doing. Uh, probably not with your players there in that circumstance. Um, give it a deep dive and then read it at least two more times. I would say probably the second time, that's when I'd be taking the most of my notes and I'd kind of be flicking through the main chapters that I know are gonna be in there. And then the third time, I usually, I would do that either just before the session, the evening before, and just kind of quick notes, last sort of refresher on it if you've got any points you want to get a bit more uh, understanding on. I would tend to stick to things like notable characters that will pop up or any ideas for changing things that are popping up in the adventure as well. Yeah, and that's, that's another point actually. If you are in uh, a pre-written adventure and you do want to change some things, that's perfectly fine. Don't ever feel beholden to a module. You know, no. you don't owe that module anything. You paid for it, probably, or you illegally downloaded Hopefully. it. Hopefully. <laughs> um, but you don't owe it anything, and the writer's not going to storm into your house and kick off because you changed how you run it. I did have that fear for a... Not that literal fear. That would be weird. Um, just Gygax comes in. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's not how it's run. Um, 
if you feel that NPC is not right for my group, that particular story beat doesn't work for my, my plot, uh, or if you're implanting a, a pre-written adventure into your homebrew setting, for example, and that just doesn't quite gel, change it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's, that's pretty much how I ran my first adventure, to be honest, set up a world and then just slotted in these pre-written adventures throughout the whole yeah. thing. And, and that's, I'm the same. Um, I, I work full time, I'm sure a lot of people do. I don't have time to, to write every single adventure I, I run. Some of them I do, um, but some of them I will, I'll just steal a module, implant that into my world and, and run with that. Um, and I'll just change location names. I'll add in NPCs that I like that I've used before that I think will be good for that setting. Um, and if there's monsters I don't particularly like the rules for, I'll take them out and I'll throw something else in. So don't feel that you have to run it verbatim. Unless you're doing organized play, for example, Adventurers League for D&D or uh, Pathfinders organized play where there is a requirement that you run it as written. If you're doing this for a home game, which I imagine the majority of you are, change it. Because why not? Nobody's going to know about you unless you tell your players. <laughs> yeah, unless you've got that one player uh, who's like read the module beforehand, like that guy's a douche. Don't be that guy. <laughs> to all the players, don't be that guy. Um, I have had that guy. It's, oh. it's not fun. Uh, Ryan. No, it wasn't Ryan. What? Uh, <laughs> so sort your maps, models, and handouts beforehand. So uh, this is not my standard play, right? I do have this. But this is like my friend made this as a one-off. Just showing off I, now. I don't, yeah. Like this this map around it with the really shitly drawn stairs, that's like how it usually looks for me. Um, but this was just like uh, by way of example. So if you have maps, uh, be it the wipe clean ones uh, or you have the printout ones, um, they're awesome. Use them. Try and draw them before your session if you're going to use them. If you want to use Theatre of the Mind and you don't want to have all the the boiling down to maps and corridors and things, that's fine as well. You know, you're, you don't have to use maps. Um, when I started role-playing, uh, we we looked at people who used maps like they were a second-class citizen. We were like, no, I'm, I'm creative enough. I can think of it all in my head. And then you have that situation where someone throws a fireball, and you're like, no, I'm actually outside of the fireball because I said 10 minutes ago I was 15 feet away from Steve. Steve's like, no, I'm pretty sure you were 10 feet away. And I, that's move, I move five foot closer on the enemy. You know. Yeah, and that, that causes the whole thing. So I personally do light maps uh, because they avoid these domestic disputes. Um, but it avoids table flipping, to be honest. It does to an extent. Um, but at the same time, there is something to be said for theater of the mind as well. One, it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, your imagination's free. Uh, two, uh, it can. some people can get very fixated on a map. Um, and it can, you can get to that sort of fourth edition D&D where it can get very kind of... Uh, Wargamey. Wargamey. Uh, and if you like that, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if you want a more kind of abstract, a more narrative gameplay, Theatre of the Mind can be really good. Uh, a system, I don't know if any of you have heard of a system called Exalted, um, but Exalted was very sort of high fantasy, very anime-esque. Didn't really fit itself very well to maps because you had people kind of jumping massive distances and you'd, you'd have to have maps that kind of like spanned... You know, like an extra tables. three tables yeah. in the hallway, um, around the corner. Everyone was moving very quick. It was very uh, Naruto meets fantasy. Um, if you've got models, awesome. Uh, I played Warhammer for a very long time, so I, I unfortunately accumulated a lot of unpainted miniatures. Would you say unfortunately or fortunately in this scenario? Uh, I'm not going to say. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I accumulated a lot of varied uh, miniatures over doing that, and I'm, I'm sure uh, you or your players have probably done similar at some point. Um, pull them in, use them. Uh, don't feel that it has to be the exact miniature. You know, that dwarf has an axe, my dwarf has a sword. This is unacceptable, I'm going home. Um, <laughs> use them to represent it, things, that's fine. Uh, one thing I really enjoy, uh, our Pathfinder did a range of uh, pawns, uh, little cardboard stock pawns, uh, which were basically just... Uh, you got them, you pop them out, you put them on little plastic bases, and they're great. And they, they go away in the box, so you can store them really easily. So those of you who have limited storage space, or, or, or wives or husbands or otherwise that don't like you having a cupboard of models, um, they're great for that because they just go under the bed. To be honest, um, a lot of games at our table, we use a combination of theater mind and minis because we have the pawn bases with different stickers on it. And like, you're not always going to have that one mini you need or that one pawn you need. Uh, well, you will because like, you, you've got a library of them. But, um, Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, exactly. Shame me in front of all these people. Tom, this is an intervention. <laughs> We're calling you out. Uh, but no, it's like if you have like just bits of paper with like different colored stickers on it to say this is guard one, this is guard two, and this Lego man is your fighter. Stuff like that. You know, yeah. like just There's representation wrong with board. that. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't feel you need to have minis and maps, and don't be like my game's not good because I don't have these things. The same applies to like. Uh, roll 20 if you're doing your games online and stuff make sure you've got your tokens and stuff and your maps draw thought out at least even if they're like paint sketches like mm -hmm. ms paint sketches something like that to get an idea of what your players are getting into yeah well for an example like you bring us horrifying things every every other tuesday <coughs> on yeah you're welcome like in, in the best positive way like but they're absolutely terrifying yeah um i so i have two groups uh i have one group that i run for at home uh, and i have one group that i run for online uh very different experiences uh, one of the things I love about online uh, maps and things is you can put so much onto it. You can steal art left, right, and center. Uh, you can just go to town. You can have these really horrifying handouts and things, and it's all very cheap and very easy to put up. Um, and your players can all see them, and that's great. Um, the only thing I find is an issue with online play, um, and this is no... Uh, some of my players are in this room. We're, uh, we're listening very closely. It's, it's very easy for players to get distracted. Uh, when you're playing online because you've got your first start you've probably got your desktop in front of you so you've got the internet <laughs> uh, at your beck and call which is problematic uh, and I can't see you across the table so there's no there's no eye contact there's no personal interaction so that can have a bit of a diminishing effect but I think with the right group and the right sort of discipline uh, that sounds sounds like I'm like stop it uh, but with Just the right kind of attention the across yeah, the mic <laughs> you can you can get a great play experience online equally I love uh, playing around the same table as people because it does have that more social gathered the experience. The tactile sensation of moving your mini. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit more classic, and I can get my friend Scott to make me cups of tea as well, which is fantastic. Oh, the, on the plus side, with like roll twenty, you can just hang around in your PJs. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad thing. I know that now. No, Thanks. just no. I'm just <laughs> saying to those at home who may That's not. That's a know. visual. That's like. Yeah. Tuesday's going to be weird. <laughs> Hello, Tom. <laughs> uh, handouts are another thing. So I love handouts as a GM and as a player. Um, really tactile. So if you've got a letter from the prince, you've got a, a newspaper clipping, if you have the skill to make something up, great. A lot of pre-written adventures will come with the handout included. Uh, so if you hate yourself, you can cut it out of the book, uh, like some sort of monster, <laughs> or you can photocopy it. Which uh, is more sensible. Which is more sensible. Like we got the chaotic versus the, the yeah. lawful on this one. Uh, if you cut it out of the book, the door's there. <laughs> um, so yeah, do do um, make use of handouts. They're really, really useful. Um, you can find like tons of guides to do that yourself, like weather images online, like uh, um, tea bags and 
uh, like t damping tea pads on letters to make them look weathered. Yeah, I did that. I, I tried to cook a letter in the oven as well. That didn't go quite no. so well. I, I wanted to give it like a crispy, like kind of, you know, it's been baked and it, it got baked. <laughs> yeah, you gave it the Cajun. Yeah. Um, so your handouts are great and they're a bit of fun to make if you're into your craft so you know someone that is. Um, so the next one is don't over prepare. Um, I think as a, as a starting GM, uh, nerves can get the better of you and you want to make sure you've got all your bases covered. Uh, this picture, as comical as it was intended, I have seen happen. I've seen GMs come to games with stacks of books like this and it is just, it's not necessary. Uh, I've also seen players do it. Like these are the source books I need for my character. If you have that player, <laughs> I feel for you. Um, have you been that player? I have not since I was a teenager. Okay. I think probably when I was a teenager, I was a bit of a douche when it came to being a player. Um, but these days I'm a bit more restrained, I hope. I don't really get to play much. Mm. Uh, so um, don't over-prepare. Uh, it's great to have an idea of what you're doing, have your plot, all that lot, but don't get into the nitty-gritty of it. And the reason for that is it's probably going to be time-wasted because all those various things that you've already prepared for. So say, for example, you've got two branching paths. You've got the players get to go and talk to the king and get the mission from the king, or they can hear about uh, the bandits robbing from the villagers. If you over-prepare those two conversations, only one of them's going to happen. Or not even. Like, they could just stay in the pub all day. Yep. Or they just leave the village. I've had that as well. Yep. Um, so prepare, but don't get too far into it. Equally with rules... Um, you as a GM need to know the rules. You need to be a guide on the rules, but you don't need to be an encyclopedia of rules. Um, nobody is expecting you, well, I hope nobody's expecting you to know every single rule. The books are there for you to use. Uh, and if it comes down to it, just make a call on the fly. As long as you make that clear to your players from the outset, look, if there's a rule we're not sure about, we'll make a call on it and we'll check it afterwards. That's fine. I've never really had much pushback on that. Uh, like it stops the the grinding to a halt momentum of like hold on which page is it which of the twenty source books is it in? Yeah, so I mean this is this is Pathfinder's uh, library, and I would say this is maybe a third. Nope, I'd say it's a tenth <laughs> probably of Pathfinder's library. Um, they're they not have, all that big though; they're like wee splat books. They do well. have splat books, yeah. Um, but if you if you have a character who, for example, is playing, I don't know, a technomancer uh, from Pathfinder, if you're trying to find a particular rule about how the technomancer uses his techno wand, uh, and you're having to go through all the different books to find it, that's a nightmare scenario. Now the player should know that, but if you as a as a GM are using a, an NPC and you forget to keep note of that, don't stop the game. Go and consult your library and, and come in with all this. Just We've, the we've consulted the records and deemed that this is how it's going to work. Now, three la three hours later, let's get back to the game. The thing is, as well, with, with something like that, your players probably don't know. So if you tell them that's the way it is, again, unless you've got that guy who's pre-read the module, they're probably not going to know any better, and they'll just accept it. Uh, or what my personal favorite is, if you say, oh, this guy's got a wand, and it does 3d6 damage, and one of the players goes, no, no, that one does 4d6 damage. You go, no, this one does 3d6 damage. And they're like, why is that? And you're like, why is that? That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> must be special <laughs> that, that's actually going to lead on very well to our next topic yeah uh, which brings us quite nicely to improvisation so this is the the main sort of trick in the, the GM's uh, toolbox and this is the one you will whether you can do it straight off the cuff and if you can, kudos or it's something you'll have to learn as you go uh, it's something that's going to come in so useful So I, I am ashamed to say that I have pulled entire sessions out of thin air well, funnily enough, I was going to say that we mentioned about sort of prepping an adventure and prepping a, uh, a module and things like that. Sometimes you don't have time. 
there have been plenty of times that I've had friends over one Saturday afternoon and we've been sat there and we're bored out of our minds uh, and someone goes, why don't we just play a game of Pathfinder? And I'm like, yeah, that's, let's do that. That'll be easy. Um, and I'll just make a Pathfinder session up on the fly and I'll usually steal the plot of a film and just like, you know, assault on District 13 and now it's happening in a, a local guard barracks or something like that. Um, and you just make it up as you go. Just the raid um, in, in the middle of a, a settlement. Yeah, I've seen all kinds of different um, films made into just like people's adventures. Wasn't um, Scary 7 one of them as well? Yeah, 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 I think I've seen just about any any film you can think of. Probably don't go too abstract, you know, you don't want like... Ocean's Eleven out of thin air. <laughs> yeah, you, you could maybe do that. That's a bit of a bank heist, a bit complex. Um, you bank Eternal heist Sunshine of a Spotless Mind or something, really. <laughs> um, so rolling with it, is the main thing so if you've got these players and and you will have these players at some point who go just so off book uh it could be that they've just misunderstood a clue that's been planted for them and they go off on this massive adventure um you've got a choice you can try and bring them back on track or you can just roll with it and just go all right that's what what we're we're doing doing now uh we're now doing a heist or um we're now doing you know uh (laughs) Crime and punishment. I'm, um, I'm really sorry. I'm really stuck in this heist idea now. <laughs> uh, by way of example, I had a I had an adventure years and years ago uh, that I ran for a group of people I didn't know, bar one person. And I had this whole big thing where this town was being sieged by kobolds, uh, and they were kind of making all these like sort of uh, guerrilla attacks on the uh, the town. Uh, and this one player got really fixated on a bakery. Uh, so I mentioned there was a bakery and he said, what's the bakery like? I said, oh, it's great. You know, they've got all glitter around the doors and they've got these lovely cupcakes in the window. And he started to plan, funnily enough, a heist from this bakery because he wanted these cakes. So we, we then had a session where this guy broke into the bakery and he didn't buy them. He broke into the bakery in the dead of night. As you do. S- stole these cupcakes, was caught by the group's paladin. Yep. So we then had a PVP yep. of the paladin trying to arrest the ranger. The paladin did eventually arrest the ranger, and then the rest of the session was the trial of the ranger <laughs> for the theft from the bakery. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about, Tom. That sounds like a perfectly normal <laughs> session. And I, I was despairing the whole way through. But I got to the end of it, and my players were like, we love that, because it was the adventure they made for themselves. So that was fine. Uh, so a lot of the times, the adventures that where you go, yes, and, they take the improv rule of yes, and yep. uh, works 95% of the time. It's like, yeah. I want to burn the town. Um, uh, but it's like, I want to go and speak to these, these, these nomadic tribes. It's like, yeah, sure, go for it. Have, have fun with that. And like, we'll make it up as we go. So some of the things we're going to give you now are little tips about how to improvise. Uh, things that we use. So use what you know. Very sinister picture of me there. Uh, pointing yeah, at are, are you sure you wish to go here, <laughs> Scott? Are you uh, sure? So I know Galarian really well from doing the the pathfinder setting um so if i'm running a pathfinder game it's really easy for me to to wing it because i know that the world so well so if you're doing a system uh and doing a story try and draw on the aspects that you know really well when the when you are improvising so if you know heist films really well draw on that source matter if you know uh, politics really well or geography really well draw on that use the skills you have both in and out of the game to improve your improv um don't force your players into political intrigue because you like political intrigue. Um, I really love Game of Thrones, you guys. It was like, I, I, I just made this go barbarian. Can we yeah. not? <laughs> um, but use the skills you know, use the things you know. And if you've built your own setting as well, odds are you probably know that setting quite well and you've fleshed it out to at least some degree um, and use the bits of that that you know. So 
if you've got a player who who builds a barbarian he's really interested in going and meeting you know other barbarians use what you know about your setting oh well there's a there's a tribe to the south uh and let them run off and have a, a wee moment over there if that's what they want to do mm. um so yeah the more you know about your setting the easier it is to to improvise or sometimes like having a blank world also helps it depends on your play style because mm -hmm. it's like i have this settlement in the middle of this blank map let's fill it in as the players mention stuff or let's fill it in as the players hear rumors it's like there's a capital to the north and there's like this wildlands to the east you know okay yeah one, one thing i've been seeing a lot recently is like taking all those dice like every single one of them that you have your hoarders and uh rolling them on the table after assigning like the d4s oh, mountains the I've seen that. That's exactly cool. right and like drawing your map around that that's an interesting way yeah 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 just roll just roll a d4 and start there yeah there's no right or wrong way uh it, it is personal preference i i'm a bit I've, I've actually picked up some interesting tips there i'm gonna use those do you want to go sit in the audience i mean yeah <laughs> <it's just like laughs> um so what what i'll do is I, I do similar i do sort of a world map and then i pick a continent and then i zoom in and i go village here and then i'll expand out on it as i go um, if you are using an existing settlement uh, or an existing setting, I recommend at least familiarizing yourself with your immediate town and then the surrounding areas. So uh, Lost Mines of Pandelver, Fandelver, yeah. I never know how to pronounce that. Uh, that's quite a good example uh, from D&D. That has sort of a, a core town and then it has surrounding region. Um, and there's enough there that if your players go off, on a random jaunt, and they probably will go off on a random jaunt. You've got the entirety of the sword coast around yeah. it, yeah. So you've got enough to kind of keep them going between sessions, which brings us on to take a break. You're going to get this situation sooner or later where your player throws a curveball at you. So you've you've got a situation. They maybe they're in the court talking to the king, and the loony player goes, "I kill the king." It's like I pull up my crossbow. Uh, or, you know, the, the conversation that was supposed to be a very great diplomatic moment turns sour. One uh, dice roll. And suddenly you roll an initiative and the guards are all pouncing on the more. Dozens and dozens of things can happen. Or one thing that does happen to a lot of people is a party member dies. Uh, or several party members die. Don't immediately go, I have to resolve this right now. We need to steam on. Take a break. Take a minute for yourself as a dungeon master, as a games master. And sort of step back from the table and think, how am I going to deal with this? Don't force yourself to be on the spot and immediately answer all the questions give yourself a minute and your players are probably going to appreciate it as well to be honest yep something major probably just happened that's caused this kind of moment to happen mm. uh unless all of you are incredibly accomplished actors and writers you're probably not going to be able to think of something on the fly like that so take a minute let your players go and get a pizza a cup of tea whatever they want to do Give yourself 15 minutes and just kind of go, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to work this in? What's the best way to deal with it? Like As a player standpoint as well, like getting that time, it allows you the opportunity to think, right, the loony player has shot the, shot the king or my character has just died. What happens now? It's like it gives you the option to like take that in and consider your next steps as both a player and uh, as a party as well. Like I've had moments where our GM leaves the table and we all sit around the table going, right, what's happening next like without the gm's input or without feeling pressured by their pr you know like, not that you feel pressured by a gm's presence or anything but there's some things you feel like you can't say around your gm sometimes i'm sorry you feel that way right tom i'm sorry it has to come to this <laughs> i thought that we had quite a good relationship no, I mean, um <laughs> i think 
It's actually really good as a GM if you have players you're really lucky. Some players will go away from a table and they'll plan between sessions. Um, so the, the 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 game will end with you know you go into the dragon's layer and the dragon staring down at you, or you go into the great old one's layer and that's staring down at you, or whatever it is. A lot of things staring down. At um, you. Things, yeah. <laughs> uh, and some players will go away and they will plan these elaborate plans. And I love as a GM when players come to my table and they have a plan. I also love watching that plan go so wrong. Um, <laughs> three three failed rolls. Yeah, yeah. They come with a plan um, and they can use that that break as an opportunity. Uh, they can also plan their shopping trips. Shopping trips. Uh, I love shopping trips. What are you talking oh, about? I need to speak to every single NPC what, shop. <laughs> whatever else they want to do. Um, I'm really meticulous for NPC names, so I will keep track of all my NPC names. Uh, and uh, my that, players it's a, uh, it's a blessing and a curse, have this, this habit of going, what's this bakery's owner's name? What's this blacksmith's name? So I have like lists of people now who like live in a town, uh, which is great, but you look a bit mental because you've basically cataloged an entire town's worth of people. Um, this wasn't of your own volition. This is of your players. And the problem is that they probably won't remember the blacksmith's name. The next time they go back, you could give them a different name. It's like, oh, this, no is, this is Steve. It's like, I, sure. All right. <laughs> Um, so take a break, uh, use it. On the back of that, if you, maybe you, you run sessions for four hours and at the three hour mark, something sort of monumental, unexpected or otherwise happens, don't be shy about cutting your session short. I know we all want to play as many games as we can for as long as we can, but sometimes it's worth finishing early to give yourself a chance to go away and get that bit of extra prep time. Natural in. stopping points. Yeah, so so do use them if they come up. Uh, you will get players uh Claire, who's sitting over there as one of my players, uh, frequently swears at me because I will end sessions at sort of climactic dramatic or reveals. dramatic points. She's like, we've still got an hour. And I'm like, no, that's uh, that's where we're going to leave it. Just, uh, just so you can sit and stew for a week. Leave, leave them wanting more. Yeah. Uh, so if you do have players that do go monumentally off track, so this is a good example for if you're using a scripted adventure. Um, and that's a picture of Ryan holding a real road track. So it's quite clever, see? Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> It's, it's, it doesn't really work if you say it's clever, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've, you've got a scripted adventure. So either something you planned yourself or a module that you're using um, and your players just go really far off the beaten track. Sometimes it can be beneficial to get them back on track. It might be because you want to get them back to your fantastic narrative. It might be because they have gone down a really dark path. Uh, there can be a number of things. So there's nothing wrong with steering them back on track. What you want to be careful of with that is that you're not railroading them. Choo-choo. You never... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> you never want to be in a state where you're t- telling a player you can't do that um, because that's not my plan. Uh, it's It doesn't reflect well on you as, as a GM and it will make your players feel limited. You know, That's how a computer game treats you. You mm. can't go that way because there's an invisible wall there. You can't do that. So you can certainly use things. Uh, so say you've got your players in a town and they're trying to leave that town, and that town's under siege by brigands, and that's kind of your whole p- plot. You've got um, a, um, a lockdown from the guards, or yeah, there's, there's the an actual war brewing outside. Have the town put on lockdown. Let them leave the town and have the brigands attack them and drive them back. You know, Let them see a huge group of brigands. Um, use, again, what you know uh, and the stuff you've managed from a break to kind of direct them back to it. Let's say you've had them go to the king to get uh, a mission, and they've assassinated the king and they're now running from the king, and you had this whole plot where they were actually going to go and get a gem from a cave somewhere, uh, have them run away and have the Thieves Guild say, look, oh, come on, come in, we'll, we'll shelter you, but you need to go and get us a gem from a cave. And then you're getting them back on track to, to what your adventure was. Um, like sans royalty, but beyond that. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Thieves are better. 
Um, so don't don't ever worry about getting your players back on track. You're doing them a favor. Uh, next one is spotlighting. So these are some of my happy players. Uh, forced to be happy on camera. Make the people think you like it. Uh, make your players the main focus. You're the GM. You are facilitating their fun, and it's important that you have fun. Uh, you know, run a setting you like, run a system you like, run a story you like, but it's really important your players enjoy themselves because if they don't, they won't stay, and then you're running for yourself, and that gets weird. Mm. <laughs> Not that I've done it. I mean, eventually you're just writing a novel at that point. Yeah, and if you want to write a novel, that's fine. Go write a novel. Um, but don't have your players upstaged all the time by NPCs. Don't have them upstaged by Mary Sue characters that you've put in because you want to play a game and you want your... This is my uh, self-insert character. Yeah. They're the uh, level 20 swordsman. <laughs> uh it's it's not great place sometimes it can be fun to have an antagonistic character who is slightly better than the party and they're kind of competing with him for quests or whatever it gives them something to work towards yeah. sometimes and that's fine but if you set up plots for your players and complete and, and continually have them upstaged never get to be the heroes at the, or at the very least the victors of a scenario um call of cthulhu doesn't really play into sort of the the hero mentality you're you have to survive, survive. yeah um you want your players to be your focus. The story's about them at the end of the day. It can be about the sprawling narrative, the kingdom as a whole, but the people at the table are the ones that you want to be focusing on. So make them the focus uh, and put the spotlight on them. And on that note, share the spotlight. So the chances are, if I'm being honest, you're probably going to have favorite players. We don't say it, but we all have them. <laughs> Uh, you're going to have that one player who gives you a little bit more than everyone else. They maybe give you a bit more of a backstory. They maybe interact with you a bit more. They maybe just follow the plot a bit better um, than the rest of them. You, I like you. There's, nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a favorite player. Um, but just because you like that player and that player cooperates or, or whatever it is about them, or they have a really cool character concept that you're, you're just really into. Nothing wrong with that, but they're not the only person at the table. And the other people at that table are never going to have cool characters if you don't share the spotlight. So you need to make sure that everybody in that group is getting a chance to interact, getting a chance to shine. Now, it could be you've got a player. So, for example, Barry, who's being blinded, uh, is a very... Uh, he likes combat. He always plays sort of martial characters. Uh, he's He gets into the plot. He gets into the narrative, but he's, he's looking forward to the next combat. He's looking forward to the next thing he can kill. So when I'm making combats, I'm thinking, what's Barry going to like in this combat? What's he going to get out of it? Because I know that's what he's going to get out of it. Then I've got another player who's maybe more into the narrative side of things or a couple of other players who are more into the narrative side of things. And I, I know, right, that's going to be their moment to shine. So the bard can talk to the prince. The, the fighter can kill the orcs. You know, give people a chance to shine. And that's not to say every session you must have, this is for player A, this is for player B. There but, is always a magic tower that you have to yeah. dispel from the wizard. Uh, but... Over the course of sessions, make sure your players have different opportunities to shine and don't just focus on one or two really good players because the other people aren't going to get better without attention. They're, they're like plants that need to be watered. Not that they're, you know... Is that what you think of me, Tom? As a vegetable? <clears throat> no. Oh. Uh, next up, we got make your NPCs interesting. So some of you probably recognize these M NPCs. Uh, and if you don't, what are you doing? Uh... So these are from Critical Role. Uh, this is Gilmore and... Victor. Victor, thank you. Uh, they are two quite interesting NPCs from Critical Role because they have very loud, uh, very distinct personalities that make them quite memorable characters. Now, 
odds are you're not professional voice actors, you're not a professional actor, um, you can't put on these fantastic performances. Uh, but you can, well, you can try. Uh, and if your players laugh at you, at least you're getting a response. They're going to remember those characters. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing you can do is make your characters interesting. So describe them in an interesting fashion. So give them ticks, give them things that make them stand out. Do they wear odd claws? Do they have odd features? Have they got strange hairstyles? Have they got odd personality traits? Give them the kind of wasp. <laughs> Joining uh, us is the wasp. I've been haunted by a wasp this weekend. <laughs> it's been one it's wasp, I swear, that is following me. It's back for you, Tom. Um, so give them traits that make them stand out from the norm. Now, that's not to say that every single NPC your party encounter have to be these ridiculously uh, ostentatious outlandish. or outlandish characters, but certain ones should be, because otherwise they're just all going to kind of blend into the background, and you want characters that the players are going to familiarize themselves with. What's interesting with this and what you will find and probably have found if you've run before is your players get attached to the wrong NPCs. There's so. a there's a shadowy man in the corner of this bar who looks like he's got the exclamation point over his head. Who else is there? Uh, goblin. We go chat to the goblin. Yeah, I've, I had my party adopt a kobold that was supposed to just be a random quest element. I've had them, you know, keep a guard alive that has followed them. There's a, I run a, a game where the, the players are building up their own kingdom uh, and they had to put people into roles. It's using a Pathfinder King Builder scheme. Uh, they had to put NPCs into roles within the kingdom. And they found this random dwarf fighter, gave him all the equipment they weren't using, and made him the captain of the guard. And they always go up to him and say, you know, what are we doing with the guard situation? And he's just like, oh. <laughs> It's like, you, you don't pay me enough. <laughs> I'm literally just a dude who had a hammer, and you put everything on and gave me a role. Um, so... Make your NPCs interesting. Hopefully, the players will latch onto them. If they latch onto someone else, make them interesting instead. The thing is, like, uh, with a lot of your your NPCs, give them motivations, give them traits that the players have as well. Like, you've got allegiances, you've got people you like, you people you hate, you've got your your history, or you've got quests to give them. Like, they're prim a lot of them may be primarily quest givers, but at least make them interesting. Mm -hmm. Definitely, uh, and your players will remember them and they will talk about them. Hopefully. Uh, set your adventures in memorable locations. Not everything has to be a night on Skull Mountain, uh, um. but you should at least have one night on Skull Mountain. Um, but you want your adventures to be in interesting locations. If every adventure happens in a warehouse, if every adventure happens in a, a generic dungeon, it gets a bit samey. Yeah. Uh, equally, and it's very easy to sort of think this only applies to fantasy RPGs. It doesn't. Uh, if you're running modern age sci-fi. Starfinder. Starfinder, um, Call of Cthulhu, all of those places have really cool locations that you can use, and you can add really cool locations. Um, so we Call of Cthulhu has the Dreamlands, mm. uh, loads of really cool locations. Call of Cthulhu has the real world, which has quite a few cool locations, if you're really being honest. I mean, Piz is all right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're thinking and of anybody, any place that's going to be haunted like Innsmouth, I think Paisley fits the bill. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're from Paisley. <laughs> uh, yeah, so use cool locations and make them memorable. Uh, have, you know, the rope swing. Have, you know, the building that's crumbling and your players are running out of it. Use cool, memorable things. Try not to just use generic sets. And if you are using generic sets, put cool things in them. Make set pieces. Um, yeah, to make them uh, stand out, especially for your final fights. It's really easy to get kind of bogged down on your big villain and his minions, and that's great. But also think about, well, what else is going to be there? How am I going to describe this scene that's really going to make it stand out and make it more than just a fight with a wizard? 
on a hill. Using the environment to your advantage as well, like mm-hmm. setting, like you're in a rocky outcropping through a mountain pass, bandits use the high ground sort mm-hmm. of thing. One thing I recommend looking at for this is 5th edition has certain monsters that have uh, effects on the environment around them and actually bring the, the environment into them. So dragons make the environment around them kind of craggy and volcanic or whatever if they're a red dragon. Um, think about that for your villain or your uh, antagonist. Are they going to have elements that they've put in place? Are they a really quick thinker? Have they put traps in place? You know, things like that. Fighting a wizard in his own tower is probably the worst idea because he can bring that to bear. But if you can get them out of the tower, then like the, you're setting up different locations for the for possible fights as well. Definitely. Uh, finally, use other resources. And what I mean by that is it's great that you've come and listened to me today. I appreciate you being here. Um, but there are so many resources out there for GMing. And don't ever think... No matter how experienced you are, I know it all. I'm the best GM in the world. You're probably pretty good. That's not um, why I'm here. But that's no. not why I'm here. No. no. All right. Okay. I just needed someone to sit next to me, yeah, so fair. I wasn't alone. Use <laughs> uh, <laughs> use other resources. Be learning. It's like any skill. You want to keep improving on it. So I have a couple of personal preferences. Some of you will probably recognize this fella. Uh, so this is Matt Mercer, who did GM tips, uh, and then it was picked up by Satine Phoenix. Uh, great YouTube channel. Uh, if you've not watched it, I suggest you go and watch it. A lot of tips, some of the things we discussed today, some extra things on top of it. Uh, another chap I quite like on YouTube that I watch as well is a guy called Seth Skorkowski, uh, who does uh, running RPGs and playing RPGs. Uh, the playing RPGs are great to send to your players after they've done something really stupid in a game. You're like, now go and watch this video about why you shouldn't have done that. Um, There's a, another one I'd recommend called the Animated Spellbook. Um, yep. It's basically highlighting one spell from the D&D 5th edition uh, each episode and telling a little story about it. But that also lets you think of how to use like environments or elements from your game in different ways. Like I wouldn't think to use spells in this manner. I wouldn't use to think um, this monster this way. So it gives you like a, a wide breadth variety for like giving an idea to shape your, your system the way you mm-hmm. want it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and if you have other things that you know of, share them. Uh, there's loads of D&D communities out there now, loads of uh, GMing communities out there now, um, loads of forums and things, D&D Beyond as a whole section for it, um, and lots of other systems have their own sort of ways of integrating as well. Um, also, share your memes. Those yeah, are memes, are, memes are really yeah. useful as well. You learn a lot from memes. It's like, oh, my players are not going to do uh, this. <laughs> so that's the end of the presentation. So we're now going to move on to a Q&A. So if you have any questions about being a GM, uh, about challenges you've come up against, general questions, anything like that, the floor is now open to you if you wish to ask anything of myself and Ryan. Yes. Yes. Uh, be excited uh, is the biggest one. Um, so I, for, for a brief while, I ran games for children um, at uh, PaizoCon, which is uh, the Pathfinder game and you have a, a, a group full of children I think uh, the, the first thing I would say is, is pick a simple system mm-hmm. and if you don't pick a simple system make it simple um, because kids for the most part uh, although there are exceptions to this don't want to get into the, the nitty gritty of the deep deep dive with the rules they want more the story the excitement the action um, so I would do it almost uh, depending on what age group you're at obviously uh, if you're going sort of 10 and under you want to keep it more about the story roll the dice don't get too bogged down on, you know, you need exactly a 24 to hit. You know, it's more about you rolled high, that's a hit, well done. Yeah. Um, things like that. Um, keep the character sheets quite simple. Keep it quite artistic, quite engaging. Um, what else would you say? Um, I think, well, be excited is a good option, but a, a good way to phrase it. But 
uh, get invested mm-hmm. along with the kids. Like uh, this might be the twentieth game you've run, but it's it, for them. It's like, going to be their first, and you're going to need to show the same excitement. You need yep. you're going to need to um, have um, as much fun as they are. So the the game I actually ran uh, for kids was a um, Paizo for Pathfinder did a, a series called We Be Goblins, right. uh, where the players play as goblins. So you have these mischievous little goblins. There's like one that's uh, she stole a bridal veil and she's wearing the bridal veil. Um, there's one who's obsessed with throwing bombs, and it was really really so good. And wide spectrum of yeah. characters. And Pathfinder actually did a uh, sort of kids club thing that sort of supported that as well. Uh, and it was just all about kind of being mischievous and, and running around and having fun um, and playing these goblins and being silly. So I did a lot of very high-pitched voices, which I can do, but I'm not going to do on mic for your own benefit. Uh, <laughs> but no. Um, and the kids loved it because I was just excited. I had this really stupid goblin hat. That I think you knitted? Did you knit the goblin hat? Somebody Someone knitted, knitted a, goblin a goblin hat for you. Hat. Someone knitted a, a goblin hat that had like these big ears. Uh, similar to that one there. <laughs> um, and and yeah, I basically just the kids just fed on the enthusiasm, and that was what they loved. They just loved the excitement and uh, anything they wanted to do. Kind of no matter how silly it was, I kind of went with it. I, at some point, you did have to rein it in a little bit, yeah, um, like just crank, to keep crank, them on track. Crank um, the improvisation up to ten, but like make sure that they know that they need to do the adventure. Yeah, um, but I love I love running for kids when I've had the opportunity, and, and it was great fun when I did it for Paizo. Um, because kids have this, this real energy and this real enthusiasm that some adults don't. You know, Ooh. they'll sit on your phone. No, I'm not judging you guys, but they'll sit on, <laughs> sit on their phones. They're not engaged, whereas kids can really kind of throw themselves into the deep end. So, yeah, um, there are quite a few resources out there as well. Paizo, uh, D&D have all done sort of bits for, for kids. So, yeah, keep it simple, keep it fun, uh, and don't worry too much about the nitty-gritty would be the best advice. Anyone else? Any questions? How do you feel about um, integrating your character, your player's character's backstories? Like, how much liberty do you take with the backstory leading it into the story? Yes, Tom, how much liberty do you take with the character's backstory? <laughs> I guess some people are very precious about these backstories and you could leave it in and destroy their backstory. No, no, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, I think it depends largely on the player. Uh, and it depends on the story as well. So if I'm running an adventure for my players, I will always go go out and say, this is this is the campaign I'm going to run. This is sort of what it's going to be about. So, for example, at the moment, the campaign I'm running for Ryan is a very sort of Cthulhu-esque D&D, so it's very dark horror, cosmic horror. Um, and I said to my players, come with, come with me with the background, come with me with your character, but bear in mind that's what they're going to exist in. So if you're coming from, you know, a very, uh, for example, a gnomish, fairy, hippy-dippy, you know, yeah, kind of thing you're going to be you're going to be out of out of your element and there's nothing wrong with that but bear in mind that this dark stuff is probably going to start to suffuse that innocence um so i think it's important your players know what they're creating a character for um how much control you then have on their backstory and how much you kind of suffuse that and change that and potentially influence that i think depends on the player some people are quite precious i think if someone is precious about a backstory and they're very protective of it let them have it you know just leave it if they've got perhaps npcs that they're they're very precious about and they're very protective of you know parents children whatever it might be uh bring that in and and use them but don't twist jeopardize them, them. Uh, if you've got someone who's who comes in to give you a bit more of an open backstory um so both ryan and claire did that when they, they gave me their characters backstories um you had fun with that one. i <laughs> I maybe twisted that a little bit more uh, and turned that against them. So I think the best the best advice I can give you with that is talk to your players about it and see 
how much control are you happy with me taking on this? How much liberty are you comfortable for me to use with this character? Or, or even just say, does your character feel he actually knows everything about that situation? Or is there more to it that maybe they don't know? Um, I think a lot of players, in my experience, will will just be happy their backstory is being included, mm -hmm. even if you're twisting it against them, which is the best fun. Sometimes uh, that's <laughs> even best on the other side of the table. Like, oh, oh no, yeah, yay, I'm in, I'm included, I guess. I think the one thing I would say about backstories is don't always weaponize them. I think if you are always kidnapping the player's parents or their si their siblings and things like that, uh, it can get a bit samey. Uh, it's actually really nice to have scenes where the players just go home and see their family and play that scene or you know they spend some time with a sibling talking about their adventures um, because it, it grounds the game a little bit more uh, and it makes those fantastical elements or those horrific elements all the more because they've got a grounded element. Um, like their 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 family are not going to be like swinging swords with with orcs, and that's going to be like absolutely mm -hmm. outlandish to them. They're wanting to hear more about that story. Yeah. They want to make sure their families are safe. That being said, unless it's what you're going for, you probably don't want to play happy families the the role playing game. I mean, there's, you system, do. there's systems for that. Are there? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> probably. I, I I talked about three three Sherlock Holmes as in a vampire that's also Sherlock Holmes. What are you talking fair, about? Fair, fair, fair. Uh, any other questions? So one more, yes. Uh, how do you feel about the idea of um, when you're GMing, like, fudge a dice roll? Fudging dice rolls, yeah. Uh, I feel fine about it. Um, I encourage it. It is a fine line to walk. Um, I think if you are always fudging dice rolls, be it for the player's benefit or against the players, you're doing them a disservice. But equally, I think if you never fudge a dice roll, uh, you're also doing them a disservice. So I had a game where the party had gone into a situation and they were doing fairly well and then the dice were just critical, 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 critical and my players were getting just beaten down. And it was quite demoralizing for them because it was the dice just turned against them. And the thing is, you can't do much about your players' dice. They've rolled it in front of themselves. They know they're rolling badly. Um, you're, you're not going to... Well, you can, but I wouldn't recommend you start saying, no, that natural one that you've rolled actually now hits for reasons. Like the sword bounces off the floor and hits yeah. you in the face. You have a level of control over your own dice as a, a GM, though. And if you're using a screen or on roll 20, things like that, you can hide your rolls. Um, you have an ability then to make a little bit more dictation on, on the story. And if you see things going sideways fast, it's an opportunity to pull that back around. And I think I would rather fudge a dice roll than fudge a scenario. So to give you an example, uh, I played in a game with a GM when I was younger and the GM had an earth elemental, this massive earth elemental, rolls out the ground and he just wails on the party. And the guy rolled really well. And it was critical hit, critical hit. And party members are dropping, boom, boom, boom. And everyone's getting really demoralized really fast because we're, we're outnumbered and outgunned uh, by this, this earth elemental. And the guy sort of immediately realized what was happening. And he said, oh, uh, the earth elemental sort of looks around for a way to heal itself. And we were like, we've done like six damage to it and it's an earth elemental. Why would it be doing that? And it, it broke that immersion, whereas he could have just had, oh, uh, it's missed. Oh, it's missed again. It's missed again. Uh, and that would have actually been more believable. Also um, taxes your acting skill as well. Yeah. Um, so don't overdo it, uh, and certainly don't maliciously do it, um, because it's not GM versus player, unless it is. Like, we all have our favorite NPCs. We're all going to have the... I, I, don't, I don't like that look I got there, Tom. <laughs> No, we are gonna, we're going to have our favourite NPCs and elements of the story and like 
seeing those jeopardize, you might feel the urge to fudge it. But if it's, at the end of the day, it's your story. The, the players are making the story. You're just there to facilitate it. Yeah, it's collaborative storytelling at yeah. the end of the day. And that's, that's the priority. You know, the, the cool combats are awesome. The deadly traps are cool. Uh, and sometimes the roles go against the players and you do need to go with that. Um, and, you know, sometimes players are going to die and you need to, you need to make that, you know, a, a moment, a scene in and of itself. Um, but sometimes you just don't want your players killed by the goblin with, you know, a shoehorn. That's not fun. Uh, any other questions? Uh, Chris? Uh, you guys have all had that one group where you have everyone does good backstories and then one player just doesn't. It, it's like a, it's mm -hmm. like the back of a postcard sort of a backstory. Yeah, like my character called the player and who do you think you best do that? Uh, I think that's it's a tricky one um, because I would first want to know why they've not done it. Had they just not bothered their backside, um, that's a question of is this the player I want in my group? And I wouldn't be like, no backstory, no game, away you go. Uh, but but you target them first, don't are they? <laughs> yeah, you will be the first to die. <laughs> uh, but if they haven't done a, a rich backstory, I'd, I'd want to sit down with them and say, look, is, is it a time thing? Are you precious? Uh, some people just don't feel comfortable writing and submitting to someone else. And I totally get that. Um, and if that's the case, I'll sit down with them and I will help them craft a backstory. Have a conversation so, about your character. Yeah, so D&D or, or role playing in general is it's a communicative hobby. So if you can't communicate before you start playing, you've got a problem. Um, so I think I would want to sit down with them and, and have a chat with them and find out. Now, if it is just, I can't bother my arse, I'm just going to turn up, roll some dice and leave. You need to decide if that's a player you want at your table. I don't actually mind that player because they fill a seat and I don't need to worry too much about them. Uh, but, uh, they'll, they'll hit things, it'll be fine. Yeah, you know, they're, if they're happy just come in and having a fairly simple character and that's what they enjoy, then that's their fun and I'm not going to tell them how they can or can't have fun. Well, conversely, like I've seen players come in with, like as Chris said, Bob the Human Fighter, and like they see other characters having all these this depth, mm -hmm. and they want that depth. They'll go out and find that with other NPCs. Mm -hmm. They'll find that in the world, and like that's where class changes and like different evolutions of character come in. So yeah. you you will see that growth, and you might not see it in everybody. Yeah, I think it's it's a case by case basis, and you need to judge it on what's that player bringing to the table. Are they actually excited to be here? Yes, right. Well, that's fine. Maybe they're just not that into a backstory. They just don't like writing. Whatever it is. Um, but if that's a, if that same players come in and they're not actually participating, like, they're oh, yeah, on their phone. I roll a dice, I guess. That's a different situation. That's a that's a problematic player situation, um, which is its own animal. Um, but if it's just a backstory thing, then cool. Focus on the people that do have the backstories for that element, and then see if you can maybe build something with that player going forward. Uh, I think we've got time for one more question. He had his hand up first time, oh. sorry. <laughs> Do you find before a session that you have an end point to how they get players as far, or do you just get a lot of time and try to Do you yes. worry about the goal? Yes. Um, so I'm running uh, next weekend for my players, I'm running a crossover event where the two games that I run oh, meet. next weekend? Uh, shut up, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so a big big pressure for me has been making sure they're at the right point to go into that. Um, so every session I've been very mindful of, oh no, oh no, they're not where they need to be. So I've had to kind of fast track that or slow that down depending on, on where they are. Uh, I think if it's just a general game, I won't. I'll just sort of go in and say, they get as far as they get. 
you know, I, I'm looking off that I run a fortnightly campaign and they just get where they get and that's fine. Sometimes um, slow players is a blessing because it gives you more time to prep the stuff that's going to come after. Yeah. Um, but at, at the other side of that coin, sometimes you don't have that. So you've maybe got uh, your friend Jeff's moving off to the army in six weeks and you want to get to the end of the campaign. Uh, and I've been in that sort of situation and it does become a bit more of a time pressure. Um, and at that point, you maybe need to decide, right, well, I maybe need to cut this element or i need to speed them through that or i'll need to slow them down at that point and get them to appreciate that so it's a bit of a judgment call um on how you want to run your games i would never run yourself to a schedule unless you need to so unless you've got something that you need to be at by a certain point just let it let it play as it does on the on the flip side of that as a gm it's important to make sure your game's exciting and engaging so if you've got players kind of sitting around the table and they're just kind of being a bit lackadaisical and shopping uh for three hours move it for i hate shopping move it forward what are you talking about tom i need to get into the bakery (laughs) make it make it exciting you know moving forward give them an inciting incident you know throw in uh, a pickpocket throw in something just to get them moving get the action going get them engaged again um but no i would i wouldn't put myself on a schedule unless i need to uh just because you're adding an extra layer of stress and you've got enough on your plate nobody needs Uh, that i had hair when i started gming (laughs) and i'm pretty sure it played a part in the reason why i don't know did, did we cause that? No, you, I met you later. It's oh, fine. Okay. <laughs> you added a different level of stress. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, folks, that is all the time we've got time for today. So thank you very much for coming. I hope you found this beneficial. Uh, it's been great talking to you all. Uh, and thanks to Ryan as well for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.